Welcome back to the audio reading of Wanted, a thriller novel by Crystal Hickerson. The novel is being narrated by the author, Crystal Hickerson. To find more novels by the author, please go to her website at crystalhickerson.com. Remember to leave a comment on how you like each episode. I am eager to hear thoughts. Previously on Wanted, the house is beginning to realize that there may be a presence in their home. Naomi is frightened by a dream that she has where she is being chased by a monster in the woods and running into her sister's old home where her daughter was murdered. She trips over the corpse of her niece and sees a strange being raping her sister when she awakes going into the hallway where she encounters a dark presence that makes her flee back to her bedroom. Even her son RJ is woken by the eerie fear feeling. Inside her sister's own bedroom, the visitor in her dreams appears to her and makes the lifeless body of her daughter materialize. Their conversation was soothing to Kaylin, but across town, Connor is given a strict warning not to interfere with the demon's desires. Connor decided he may have made a grave mistake allowing his evocation book out of his hands. He insists that Jules get it back immediately. However, it may all be too late. Now back to the story. Sunday morning and Kaylin stroll down the stairs on air to an abandoned first floor. After experiencing a supremely restful sleep for which she had not had in years, she awoke well after eleven. The house was quiet because it was Sunday and the family was off to church, except for Michael who was surely in D.C. at his seminar by now. He would be back in the early evening. Naomi and the kids would be back probably around two or three. Therefore, she had the whole place to herself. Now this is more like it, she muttered aloud. A rare smile was born on her face with her mind surprisingly clear. Kaylin sauntered into the kitchen where she made herself a pastrami sandwich, thick with lots of meat, all the toppings, even the gourmet mustard. It's like being at a deli in this freaking place. She again smoked tersely aloud. Even though she was alone in the house, she felt that there was someone close by listening to her every word, and it felt okay. In fact, it felt quite good. She did not feel alone at all. She fixed a tall glass of orange juice, leaving a small drop in the container. She glanced at the jug, then put it to her lips and drunk down the last of it. Like a basketball player, she tossed the empty jug into the wastebasket. Two points, she said, raising a fist in the air and bringing it down to her left side. She devoured the huge sandwich and overflowing glass of juice, no pulp, at the island bar. Grabbing the nearby remote, she switched on the stereo. She winced at the jazz sound that immediately entered the room and searched the stations until she heard the thumping bass of rap emerge from the speakers with the sonic vibration. She shot the volume up as her head bounced. 
I bet those speakers don't know what hit them. She laughed to her unseen friend. Strange surges flowed through her once she had finished her lunch and sat backwards at the kitchen bar staring at her surroundings. The streams of emotions were of envy, anger, and emptiness. She resented the beauty of this house. She hated that family portrait of her sister and her perfect husband and perfect kids on the wall. She hated that all of her own family portraits that had hung on her own walls were crammed in right now in a storage unit, probably molding. She hated that her own child's body was in a grave and yes, also molding. This should be mine, all of it, she said to the Boyd. Sliding off the stool, she made her way across the living room into the foyer, pausing just outside of Michael's office. She peered inside. Her eyes lazily wandered over his bookshelves, his globe, and the way the sunlight bounced off his mahogany desk. But none of it is mine. Nothing is mine anymore. She went into the office, letting her fingers glide across the desk and spin the globe. She sat on his couch and felt like crying, but didn't. She was too mad to cry. There was too much pain to cry. How quickly her mood had changed. Her world had crumbled in a matter of minutes. Yet was it that her mood had changed, or was it that her little dream of calmness she felt when she had woken ended? Can her world ever truly be calm again? Before there was hope, dreams, plans for the future. She wanted to go back to school, get her doctorate, and teach. She loved working for hospice and being a grief counselor, but it was wearing on her. Listening to the woes of the weary was not something she wanted to do for the rest of her life. When she had started in this line of work, it was her experience from the loss of her mother that aided her in understanding her client's grieving hearts. Yet now, with the death of her child, she knew she could not go back to it. She knew that she would no longer be able to be of help to those people because now she was one. Her mother's death, though tragic, she understood. She understood the pain her mother suffered and why she had taken her own life. How freeing that instant must have been for her mother, the soul releasing from the body and leaving behind the pressures of this world. Although many believe that her mother's soul is in hell now, Kaylin did not. She believed that her mother stayed and watched over them and greeted Lacey when her little soul was slashed away. Yes, that is what she believed. She had to, after all, because the alternative was not something she could accept. She would not accept that her mother's soul was damned and burning, or that it was being ripped apart limb by limb for all eternity. She would not believe that her daughter is in darkness alone in a cold grave, or that she was nothing now, just rotting to be fertilizer for the ground. She could not believe any of that and go on. Suddenly. A door slammed from upstairs, and the sound made her bolt up on the couch listening. She strained her eyes and tilted her head to the side as if the action would make her hear better. Faintly, she heard footsteps in the hall above. This was odd to her because these walls and ceilings were pretty solid. She had never noticed the clamor of people moving before. The footsteps were getting louder, yet not necessarily closer, more like the pounding of a heavy-duty pavement breaker. 
At first, she thought maybe it was Micah who somehow weaseled her way out of going to church, but the footfalls were too hard, too heavy to be a teenage girl barely weighing over a hundred pounds. Then she thought, Michael, maybe? Had he come home or not gone at all? No, couldn't be him, she thought. She had remembered seeing him leave. The steps stopped or paused, and her eyes shot upwards as if she could see through the office wall at the top of the stairs. Her blood ran cold as the stairs began to creak as whoever it was started down them. One by one, each step was deliberate and slow. Yet that sound could not have been anyone living in this house. Too large, too big. Kaylin remained motionless so she would not alert the intruder of her whereabouts. Her eyes searched the room for a weapon. There was an elaborately carved letter opener sitting regally in its holder. Carefully, she stood up and pulled it out, brandishing it like a sword. The footsteps stopped. Her eyes widened. Did he hear her? What am I supposed to do? She screamed in her mind. Instinct took over. She moved closer to the doorway of the office, makeshift knife at the ready. Her breath caught in her throat as the footsteps started again, down the steps and halting at the landing. Then she heard it. Laughter. It was a throaty, deep chuckle of a man, yet the sound did not seem to originate from the foyer, but from all around her. Sheer terror ran through her like ice crystals of adrenaline, and without warning or judgment, she ran from the office and lunged at the intruder. She let out a shriek of attack. In the hall, something was there, a shadow of a tall man, but when she refocused, she saw nothing, and without the body of the intruder to stop her swift pace, she stumbled forward onto the bottom steps. Kaylin recovered quickly, jumping back up into a stance of keenness. Her head jerked from side to side, looking for the man she was sure had been there. He must have ducked behind something, yet there were no corners in this open, great area. The rooms were well lit by sunlight. Come down here, she heard a man saying. She moved slowly towards the voice, and a rush of air that had been caught in her throat released when she realized it was the disc jockey on the radio beckoning his listeners to come out to a local event. Still tense, she walked across the room, eyeing behind the couches and chairs as she passed, and switched off the stereo. Had that been what she heard? The radio? The music? She ducked her body into the kitchen, turning on the lights and searching the room. No one was there. I'm going crazy. She let out a nervous laugh. She placed the letter opener on the island counter. Using the counter for leverage, she tried to regain her composure. Closing her eyes for only a moment, Kaylin took in a few deep breaths. The door slamming was the wind, she was sure. The footsteps, not footsteps. It was the bass from the music. There was no intruder. When she reopened her eyes, in an instant her stillness was gone. She screamed, picking up the letter opener again when she saw a man standing at the far end of the living room watching her. She backed away from the island, slamming herself against the sink, which was the only thing stopping her retreat. Her face contorted in fear and recollection. This was no man. This was the dark spirit from her room, the one who brought Lacey's body back from the grave. Why are you here? What do you want from me? Kaylin asked, still holding the letter opener up as if to slash him. I told you I would return. It moved towards her in that odd, gliding fashion. That was you, just now, upstairs on the steps? Her voice trembled. 
It didn't speak. It only kept moving closer. The closer it got to her, the more at ease she felt. Its eyes penetrated her. When it reached within inches of her, its eyes bore down upon her. Its frame towered over her, causing her head to bend backwards to see into the open slits it was using for eyes. What she saw was more than darkness, for what was inside of those eyes was eternity. She was sure of it. It was like two tunnels reaching back through time. The more she stared into them, the more she understood what it was doing there. She understood why it had come. She had called it to her. The summoning was not complete, and this is why it was here. To complete what she had called him to do, she was ready. It moved closer and even closer to her, so close to her now that the fabric of its clothing was merging with her skin, her arms, her legs, her stomach, and her chest. She was absorbing him. A pounding of thunder rumbled in the sky above them. The clouds above the house blocked the sun, causing the room to darken around them. Its form sunk down lower and lower, as if like smoke it was being sucked into her body. Kaylin opened her mouth wide to allow its face and head to enter into her, dropping down through her throat like a smoky liquid. The rest of its body simply permeated her straight on until it was entirely inside of her. Kaylin let out a long groan of ecstasy and rapture as she felt it moving through her. Every part of her tingled with orgasmic implementation stronger than any emotion and physical explosion she had ever experienced. Her mind was ebbing in and out of consciousness. She felt as if she was floating, then sinking, then dreaming all in a matter of seconds, yet there was no reality of time that she could measure. Her body tightened and convulsed, sending incredible shivers as if she was having many seizures. If she were aware of time, she would know that it had lasted for well over an hour. Her body had collapsed on the floor between the island counter and kitchen sink. There was a moment where she had stopped breathing altogether for at least 16 minutes. All she was aware of was the feeling, the unimaginable pleasure that wrapped her like a warm blanket. When she was unconscious, inside of her dreams she would see him standing in front of her in that moonlit meadow and heard the water lapping on the bank. She would feel him touching her with more than hands all over her body. When she was awake, which were only seconds at a time, she would only feel the ardor and the fervor of it. When the melding was regrettably over, when the pleasures passed, she still laid there on the floor with her eyes closed remembering it all. It was inside of her. What it knew, she now knows and that new knowledge filled her with a strength she had never possessed. The world was different, smaller, and extremely insignificant. When Jules pulled her car into the long driveway of Kaylin's sisters, she heard thunder in the sky, her brow furrowed at the thought of rain. What she needed now was sunshine, not these overcast clouds that had rolled in out of nowhere. Her visit yesterday morning with Connor was more than a bit unsettling. His words played repeatedly in her head. Something has entered this world. Something that does not belong here. 
She had known him for a long time, yet the horror in his eyes was something in which she had never seen before. So consuming were her thoughts that she barely was able to concentrate on assisting her hospice family with their probate court procedures. She always hated working on Saturdays, but the work of a hospice social worker is never done, and she does not end at 5 p.m. on Fridays. The day ended up being a busy one. After her first appointment, an emergency occurred where a patient needed to be transferred from his home into a hospital immediately. The main caregiver was freaking out, to put it mildly, and she had spent the better part of her day at the hospital. When her day finally ended, it was after 7 p.m., and all she wanted to do was grab a cheeseburger and crash on her couch. She had not been in the mood at that time to talk with anyone, let alone Kaylin. She even ignored calls from Connor, who left a message inquiring if she had retrieved the book. Yesterday she was not up to the task, yet was she now in the mood to ask her friend if she had invoked a demon that was terrorizing her boyfriend? It all sounded so ridiculous the more she thought about it, and the longer she sat in the car contemplating what to say. Jules was a fan of the occult and free-thinking lifestyles, but sometimes it all seemed fantastic to her, she had to admit. However, she did believe Connor. He was not the sort of man to lie. He could be brutally honest with her about anything, and if he said that he saw something, then he saw it. But a connection with her friend because of that book? Jules rolled her eyes. That stupid book, she whispered to herself. When she had felt the world spin when she had first touched it was when she should have given it back to him and never spoke of it again. Nevertheless, she took it and handed it to her grieving best friend. Jules was a woman well into her forties, but her boyfriend recommends something and she does it to please him. How juvenile was that? She had to admit she felt young being with him, but did that mean acting like a teenager as well? Because of that ill-conceived action, she now was sitting in her car, thinking how she was going to take back a book she had just given to Kaylin. What if she was still reading it, and the book was giving her the welcome distraction she needed? Jules cursed herself for not going to the bookstore, or even just looking in her own private library for a book on healing and emotional therapy. How many books on losing a child did she own? Six? Ten? Heck, any one of her Deepak Chopra books would have sufficed. Oh well, she sighed as she exited her car. Stepping closer and closer to the doorway, she noticed how the clouds above the home seemed to be coming darker and darker. A storm is coming, she thought as she eyed the threatening sky. The clouds appeared bizarre to her. They seemed to be murkier over this particular house. She could even see the blue sky the farther down the horizon she looked. Strange, she thought, but that was all the time she spent on it. Just strange. Nothing more. She had rung the doorbell three times before considering leaving. The car was not in the driveway, but she was sure that Kaylin was here. It was Sunday. Naomi was assuredly at church, and Kaylin most assuredly did not attend with her. Jules attempted to peer inside of the flanking door windows, yet saw nothing but the empty foyer. It occurred to her that she could call the house with her cell phone, but thought against it. If Kaylin was resting, then let her rest. She would come back later. She could call her and invite her out for dinner or something. Jules turned to leave, and as she did, she heard the door click unlock. It swung open slowly, with a soft, creaking sound. Kaylin? she called, stepping into the home. 
There was no one behind the door, and the foyer was still empty. Who opened the door? Kaylin, she called again cautiously. The home was eerily quiet. The only sound was the clicking of the modern grandfather clock hanging on the wall. I'm here, Kaylin said, appearing from the dining room area. Her sudden presence made Jules jump and start. She placed a hand to her chest. Oh, you scared me, she giggled awkwardly. Sorry. Come in, Kaylin said, gesturing to Jules to follow her into the living room. She took a seat on the couch. Jules nodded, then turned to close the door that was still ajar. As she closed it, a sinking feeling came over her as she pondered how the door opened. She dismissed it for now and joined Kaylin in the living room. Kaylin had switched on the large plasma TV on the wall hanging over the fireplace. On it, a familiar news anchor was reporting the details of violence in Nigeria. Mobs burned down homes, churches, and mosques Saturday in the second day of riots as the death toll rose to more than 300 in the worst sectarian violence in Africa's most populous nation in years. The world has gone mad, Kaylin commented, watching the news. Yes, Jules agreed, taking a seat across from her. It is senseless how we kill each other. Do you ever wonder if God even gives a shit? Or do you think he gets some sort of sick pleasure from those that kill in his name? Kaylin said. I don't think he does. Jules answered, but these were gang-related. Those men were not killing for any religious freedom, just for money and power. Power? Kaylin asked. And what power do you think is gained from something like that? Jules hunched her shoulders. No real power. Some people fight because they know nothing else. No other way to express themselves or gain any kind of purpose in their lives other than killing. Kaylin looked directly at her with a stare so cold it made Jules sit up straighter. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Jules paused. What is that from? Kaylin answered her. From the Bible. From his word. Hebrew 11.37 Since when are you quoting scripture? Jules said, quite shocked. Kaylin continued, You know that there is no way to have faith without pain and suffering. He favors those who suffer. It does seem that way sometimes, doesn't it? Jules flung a hand at the news program. Yes, it does seem that way. Kaylin rose. Jules watched as she went to stand in front of a picture of Lacey on the wall. Slowly and deliberately, speaking each word, Kaylin quoted in a voice that didn't seem quite her own to Jules. Then Satan answered the Lord, and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Has not thou made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Kaylin turned and looked at her friend sitting bewildered on the couch. We both know the story. Job was doing well, happy, 
secure, safe. Then God took that away from him. She looked back at the picture. He took everything from him. He took his family, his money, his house. And if that was not good enough, he sent him into the belly of the beast. Kaylin returned to her seat. And for what? To test him? To test his faith? His allegiance to him? Wasn't it enough that Job already believed that he was already faithful and loved him? No. <laughs> no, that was not enough. He had to feel pain. He had to feel torture and grief. And that wasn't the only time. Think of Abraham, who he tested to kill his own son Isaac, to prove his loyalty and love to God? What the fuck was that about? And don't get me started on Jesus' ordeal. No, he enjoys it. Maybe all these years we have been backing the wrong horse, huh? She let out a throaty laugh. Maybe we have been worshipping a bully, a tormentor, a masochist. She laughed again, a laugh that sent chills through an astounded Jules. What? Jules glared at Herb disbelievingly. What are you talking about? What are you now, a Satanist? No, Kaylin answered plainly. Then what are you talking about? First of all, it is freaky enough that you are talking about God and quoting fucking scripture, which I have never heard you do, by the way. And now you are saying God is evil? Kaylin took a breath. I'm just making an observation is all. It's a pretty compelling idea, wouldn't you agree? She asked Jules. What the hell is going on with you today? And who the fuck opened the door? Jules almost yelled. What door? Kaylin asked, now looking at her as if she was crazy. Never mind. I need the book back. Jules told her, feeling the strong need to do what she had come to do and leave. The air was definitely colder in here. Oh, I get it. You're scared. Kaylin smirked slightly. Of what? It's Connor's book, and he asked for it back, so if you could get it, that would be great. Kaylin examined her friend for a moment. Why does he want it back? A wry smile crept across her face. I don't know. I think he has a buyer. It's worth a lot of money, you know? You're lying. Jules let out an exasperated breath. <sighs> I just need it back. Kaylin leaned back on the couch and just stared at her. She knew Jules was lying, and she really didn't care why. But what was a bit peculiar to her was that Jules was terrified of her. Okay. Kaylin stood up and went back into the kitchen. She stood by the island and placed a hand a few inches above the counter. Upstairs, the book slowly began to vanish from on top of her bed and reappeared downstairs under her fingers. She picked up the book and went back into the living room. Here you go. She held it out to Jules. Something was very wrong here. Jules stood up, keeping a lock onto Kaylin's eyes. Missing is the concept that stuck to her soul. Her friend was missing from her eyes. A film of darkness had replaced what was once life. Jules took the book. Hey, why don't we go out and get lunch? Have you eaten? Jules asked, trying to bring normalcy back to the situation. You have to get the book back. Connor is waiting. Jules threw up a dismissive hand. Forget him. Let him wait. I'm hungry. No, 
You should go. The finality in Kaylin's voice was apparent. Kaylin, Jules touched her arm. Come with me. Let's talk. I'm tired. I had a big breakfast. Just need to lie down. You know, get some rest, Kaylin said. Jules could see that there was no persuading her. A part of her was actually relieved because she wanted to run screaming from that house, and another part of her wanted to grab her friend and pull her out of the door and take her somewhere, anywhere but in that house. She didn't quite know why she felt these urges, but they were real and both equally strong. Finally, she turned and headed towards the door. They both walked in silence into the foyer. Jules turned back towards her. Call me if you need me. Jules watched as Kaylin silently nodded. Promise? Jules saw her nod again and even manage a small smile. Daylight. Jules stepped back through the doorway and out into the hazy daylight. She stood there for a moment and listened as the door closed, locking behind her. She paused, considering for a moment to go back inside and talk to her, make Kaylin open up and really find out what's going on. But what if it was nothing? She didn't want to risk a friendship, yet isn't it worth the risk? Jules let out a hard sigh, then clutched the book heading back to her car. Connor would know what to do. She flung the book onto the passenger seat. The sooner she got it out of her possession, the better. Inside the house, Kaylin turned away from the door and returned to the picture of Lacey. She was all smiles, beautiful, young, and innocent. An image of Lacey walking through the door on that faithful day coming home from school with her book bag swung over her shoulder, not knowing those final minutes would be her last. Kaylin thought of how she was probably laughing with her friends on the bus, talking about her day, poking fun at the teachers, cracking jokes. She imagined her daughter waving goodbye to her friends thinking of the school day's stories she would share with her mother as she always had done. Oh, Mom, let me tell you about what happened today at school. It was so fun. Kaylin remembered she would say. She would be so excited, talking about schoolwork, her friends, teachers, activities she participated in, and just general middle school gossip. As Kaylin cooked dinner, she would revel in those stories, not for the content, but to just see her daughter smile and to share in her life, her stories rarely went to boys at all. She hadn't reached that time in her life yet. Still innocent to the pains of first loves and wanting desires, but her killer would take from her that innocence. He would rip it away from her with every disgusting pelvic thrust. Kaylin hoped that he had knocked her out before penetrating her so she would have at least died without feeling him inside of her. Kaylin let out a guttural cry at the thought of her child being raped and murdered. The tears welled up but did not fall this time, because this time her thoughts went to him. Who was he? Where is he? What happened to him? Did he go to jail? She had never allowed Naomi to explain the case. Naomi had tried, but she had stopped her, halting her words for they were too much for her to bear. Kaylin didn't even want to hear about the funeral, let alone the police search for Lacey's killer. Do you want to know? Came a voice inside her mind. Kaylin said yes aloud to the empty room. Then I'll take you to him. Stay tuned for the next episode of Wanted. Wanted.